I don't know who needs to hear it this morning. But if you feel like you've been wavering, if you feel like you've been stumbling around and faltering and can't seem to find your way, that does not have the ability to change how saved you are. And that has no bearing on your status as a child of God. Nothing, nothing in all creation, height, depth, principalities, no powers, nothing in your past, nothing in your present, nothing in your future can separate you from the love of God. And we have this promise, yeah. We have this promise. Jesus says, look, I'm, I'm a good shepherd. He goes, I, I hold my sheep in my hand. No one can take them out. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being a God who holds us fast. Thank you for being a God who doesn't let go. Thank you that you save us by the riches of your grace which you lavish upon us. And you do not save us. You do not save us based on our ability to get our act together and turn our life around but on the riches of your grace. And I know for myself that the riches of your grace are infinitely greater than my ability to get my act together. And I don't think I'm alone, God. So we thank you. Through trial, through temptation, through suffering, through our own short-sightedness, through all those things, you are steadfast and unchanging and immovable and you hold us. And no one or no thing in all creation is strong enough to make you open your hand and loosen your grip. We praise you, Father. It's in Jesus' holy and glorious and matchless name we pray. Amen. When people ask you about your faith, how do they ask and what do you say? I find this to be an interesting thing. I don't know about you, I feel like I've noticed multiple changes over time in how this is asked and how it's answered. It used to be, like I remember, it used to be, are you spiritual or are you religious? And it, it seemed like the, if, if you answered yes, like there was obviously a Christian hue to what you were saying. But now, if you say, are you spiritual, it can mean anything. It can mean, boy, rocks give me just warm fuzzies all over when I set them out in the moonlight. And 
we can laugh at that, but that's, that's a thing people really believe and give themselves to. Religious can go all over the places, and, and sometimes people just say, are you a Christian? But back when I was younger and had to walk multiple miles always uphill, it seemed that when somebody wanted to know if you were a Christian, they really emphasized, are you spiritual, are you religious? And then some point in high school, it became important to say, I'm in a relationship, not a religion, and emphasizing the relationship with Christ. Um, and then later, it became important, at least in, in a weird American Christian trend, to, to not call yourself a Christian, but to call yourself a follower of Jesus based on what the Jesus, how he would call the disciples just to follow him. And so it's interesting how these terms can change and be perceived. And if you're not tracking how terms can be perceived, just think of the word evangelical and what that meant 10, 15 years ago as just the conviction that the Bible holds authority and what it means today. And most of the world takes evangelical as a political identification as opposed to a, a doctrinal belief. But even in the first century, there were a lot of names for people who followed Christ. There was people in the way. The Romans would refer to Christians as atheists because they didn't believe Caesar was a god. They would refer to Christianity as a cult. We know that uh, in Acts, we have the first instance of, of believers being called Christians. And then there's Paul's enduring terms of the faithful saints. But here, as we come to the text, and as we've been in in Ephesians already up to this point, Paul has a way of, of describing believers not as a, as a name necessarily, but what they have access to. And it's just, he refers to believers as those who are in him, in Christ. And what a wonderful descriptor. It's not of a religion, but it, it's more of who you are specifically. It's describing, it means that, that we have been saved through Christ and in Christ it, we have a lot that God has given us. And as Paul is, is talking to the, writing to the faithful saints of Ephesus, and he, he opens up with all the, we have every spiritual blessing from the heavenly places given to us, and they're given to us in Christ. And the other thing I, I like about this, in Christ, in him, there's zero ambiguity to this. You're in Christ or you're not. There's no ambiguity. And that's, one, it's clarifying. Because there's a lot of people that they're like, with Christianity, they're like a moth to the, to the flame. This is going to get really morbid. I didn't really think this through. <laughs> they hover around it, but they never really get to it. But in, unlike the moth with the flame, we need to get to it. There, there, I, it's bad. I get it. Um, but there are people who tend to want to hover around Christianity while never really committing to it. And they're not in Christ. And maybe you're here this morning and you've been circling Jesus for a long time 
or maybe you're new at circling Jesus, and you have yet to say, Jesus is Lord, I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, and repent of your sins to receive his forgiveness and the newness of life that's in him. And I hope that if you've been circling and hesitating to do that, that you'll stop hesitating this morning and just do it. But then here's the great assurance. So it's clarifying, but here's the great assurance. There are some of you who have been believers, you've been in Christ for 65 years or more. And there's some of you who have been in Christ for a very short period of time, maybe less than a year. All of you who are in Christ are just as much in Christ as everyone else who's in Christ. Whether it's been 65 years or a month, if you're in Christ, you're in. That's it. Isn't that wonderful? And so Paul is saying, he's not saying what it means to be a believer in terms of you need to act this, this, and this way. He does that other places. But here what he's saying of what it means to be a believer is he's like, look, when you're a believer, when you're, when you're one of these faithful saints, you're in Christ. And being in Christ means you have some stuff. You have redemption through the forgiveness of sins by the blood of Christ. You've been saved according to the lavish richness of God's grace. And you have an inheritance. So let's look at what Paul says about this inheritance briefly in verses 11 to 14 of Ephesians 1. I invite you to read along or listen carefully or a little bit of both. In him, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This passage breaks down pretty evenly in, in two sections, verses 11 to 12 and 13 to 14. Maybe you notice both start with in him and end with to the praise of his glory. Both sections largely deal with the inheritance of the people of God, the certainty of it, but, but they have differences with the, the subject, the assurance, and the treatment of the inheritance. So let's dig in. Praise the Lord, who in Christ has given and will give great things. First of all, the, inher the inheritance is obtained. Paul is starting out here. We look at the subject in him. We, 
Who is the we? He's not specifically talking about the other apostles or even his traveling ministry cohort, but he's talking about the, the Jewish believers. The dynamics of Jews and Gentiles being in church and worshiping together is a reoccurring theme within the New Testament, and it starts as soon as Gentiles start getting saved. And all the Jews go, Oh, we didn't think this could happen. What do you mean God loves the Gentiles? What do you mean they can have faith in Christ and get saved? And they have to work that out. Paul deals with it a great deal, both in Acts and through his writings. In Romans 1.16, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also the Greek, and we can put in parentheses under the Greek, the Gentiles or the Irish, sorry. <laughs> the gospel transforms everyone, and that is wonderful. But in the early days, it creates some confusion and tension. But it's interesting here in Ephesians, he, Paul's going to deal with a little bit of the tension, how Jesus treated that tension in chapter 2. But here, he's not dealing with any sort of tension with acknowledging uh, that the Jews would save first and then the Gentiles. Instead, he's just marveling at it. We who are the first to believe, we have, we've obtained this inheritance. And he's going to, it's to the praise of his glory, he's going to get to the Gentiles to all of us who are waiting to acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. This is not dealing with the complexities and the difficulties that we people can put on things, but simply marveling at the greatness of God. So we have obtained an inheritance. It's hard to see in English. It's impossible to see in English. But the word inheritance in verse 11 and verse 14 in the original language, is actually two different words. And in 11, the word is, is hearkening back to the Old Testament. It's hearkening back to an idea that we see pretty clearly in a couple of verses in Deuteronomy. So if you want to flip with me, you can. Otherwise, you can write down the references, check my math, whatever. But in Deuteronomy 4.20, we have... Here we go one more page. But the Lord has taken you, Moses talking to Israel, and brought you out of the iron furnace out of Egypt to be a people of his own inheritance as you are this day. So Moses is starting this farewell sermon to the people he says, God has brought you out of Egypt so that you could be his inheritance. And then later in Deuteronomy, uh, all the way up in chapter 32, verse 9, yeah, but the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. And so Paul here in verse 11, he's saying, in him we have obtained an inheritance. We've obtained being the heritage of God. We've obtained becoming God's people. And this has happened in full through Christ. According to the purpose of his will, according 
um, having been predestined according to the purpose of his will, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. The heritage of God's people has been obtained. It is held by God. It is fully secure. And just obtaining it isn't assurance enough. Not for Paul, for these people. Their assurance comes here as he reminds them of what he's already said in verse verse 4 and verse 6, that this, your salvation, is in accordance and lockstep with the eternal will of God, the eternal purposes of God, that this was always going to happen. Imagine, if you will, the early Jewish Christians. We know that it was, it was customary of Paul. I think it's safe to assume it was customary of a lot of the other apostles who were traveling around. They'd start in the synagogues. They'd preach the gospel in the synagogues until, essence, they got, they got kicked out, uh, usually under very unfriendly circumstances. And then they would just keep preaching in the city. But in, inevitably, as they were preaching in the synagogues, a lot of people would come to Christ. So imagine for a moment that you're one of these first century Jews. Paul comes to Ephesus. You go to your synagogue. There's this, this little rabbi you haven't seen before. And he starts talking about Jesus of Nazareth, starts sharing his testimony, starts unfolding the, the scriptures and pointing to how Jesus fulfills all these things. And you, your mind and your heart just come alive. And you think this is it. You give your heart to Jesus. And you believe in him. And you go home, and you're sitting around the table. You start talking to your family. Safe to assume extended family about this. And you start hearing pressures. What are you doing? You're abandoning your faith. You're abandoning the Lord. You're abandoning all these things. And you start getting confused. Well, this, this little rabbi named Paul is telling me all this great stuff. He's opening scripture that I didn't even know about. I've put my faith in here. I feel something inside of me that I can't argue with because it's the Holy Spirit of God. We'll get to that later. And my uncle, who I've always respected, is telling me I've turned my back on Jehovah. And Paul tells these Jewish believers, this gospel you believe in, this is the eternal will of God. You have not turned your back on the Lord. You've actually come substantially closer to him than you ever would have been on your own. You've actually come near to God in relationship with him, been adopted as his child. You are in his inheritance. You are the heritage of God, the people of God, pulled out of slavery and bondage, brought into glorious freedom and glorious life. You have not strayed. In fact, you, you haven't gone away from the will of God. You are just right in the middle of it. And this has been God's will for you all along, his plan for you all along. You haven't strayed. They who deny Christ 
have strayed from the will of God. What an assurance. And we should feel the same. We should feel the same assurance as we get in 4 through 6 of chapter 1. That God chose us in him before there was a drop in the Pacific Ocean, before the, the foundation of the world. We should be holy and blameless, predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. The purpose of his will is to save his children. And so we, I love it, every time I love it, we have this inheritance, the obtained it's been obtained <laughs> as, a, as a dad of a show choir kid, I'm low on sleep. And so it just, it's going to take a lot less for me this morning. Um, so this is an inheritance that is obtained. It is wrapped up. It is guaranteed. It is already being held on to. And what a glorious thing, a dignity-giving thing. There's a volume button on the side, I'm sure of it. <laughs> I'm sorry. But the, what's been obtained, as Paul's saying, is what's been obtained isn't that we're already in heaven. It's that we are already the people of God, and it is sure, and it is locked up, and it is guaranteed. What's been obtained is that God is holding you. That's what he's telling them. Because sometimes we can be saved and we're like, boy, I know heaven's waiting, but it feels an awfully long ways away. Paul's saying here, it's been obtained. You are God's people through Christ. In Christ, he's telling his, his Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ, that in Christ, we have come to the fullness of what God has called us to. And this has always been the plan. Even as, as those who are faithful in the time of the wandering through the desert, those who are faithful under the reign of David and Solomon, Hezekiah, Josiah, those great bright moments in Israel's history, the sacrifices they were offering were just putting everything on hold until it could be fulfilled completely in Christ. His sacrifices forgiving all sins for one, at one time. Paul's saying it's always been this. Inheritance is obtained, and then we get to the inheritance is coming. Moving into verse 13, Paul, in an uh, enough about me moment, turns the focus to the, the Gentiles in Ephesus, and he turns the focus to us. In him, you also, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation believed in him. You also. This is, when he says also, it's an inclusion. You guys, you guys are also part of this obtained inheritance. And what we're going to see in a bit is it's the same exact thing. And he's saying you may be latecomers. You may have joined the line later than the rest of us, but we're all in it. Isn't that great? Even in 2024, 
we're in it. We're in Christ. We have an inheritance that's been obtained and an inheritance that we're still waiting to grab full possession of. And he gives this assurance. It's sneaky, but I think it's significant. See if you catch it. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, did you catch it? You believed in him. Here's the assurance that we have, one of the many assurances that we can have as us goyim, us, us vile Gentiles. We have access to God's promise, the same exact access to God's promise and life as Abraham did, through faith. We don't need to know an extra secret knock. We don't need to succumb to some old covenant lifestyle. We have, it's faith. This is the same access point as Abraham himself when he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And it may not seem like much at first, but it's significant. God could have written really weird rules on what it means to be saved under the new covenant. He could have done it. He's God. He could have said, like, look, the Jews, like, they have a backstage pass, but you Gentiles, you got to work for it. He could have done that. He's God. It's his salvation to give. He could have given any requirement he wanted, but here's what he did. He said, I'm the Lord, the God of heaven and earth. I have made everything. The way to please me and the way to come to me is through believing my promises. And because I'm unchanging, that way is going to stay unchanging. It's always been about faith. This is one thing Jesus had to correct the, the false teachers of his day on. It's not about the practices. It's definitely not about the traditions that you add on to God's word. It's always been about faith. Hebrews nails it. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Moses. The list goes on. By faith, by faith, by faith. And by faith, we, when hearing the gospel of our salvation, are saved. And he gives us this proof of our salvation. You are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Now those of you, I know I may only be speaking to a select few, those of you who pay attention when I talk. <laughs> Some of you caught that one. Those of you who pay attention and have been here for a while and paid attention for a while, you'll know that when I talk about the sealing of the Holy Spirit, the analogy that I tend to go to is an engagement ring. But I want to offer... As I've continued to learn and grow, I want to offer you what I think is a better illustration than an engagement ring. And it, but it's only going to make sense to homeowners. When the Lord gives us the Holy Spirit, he pays our inheritance in earnest. He gives an earn, a payment in earnest now, here's what that means for those of you who don't know what an escrow is. 
It means he gives, when, you, when you're buying a house and you, with your offer, when you're really serious about a house, how you show you're really serious, you say, I'm going to buy this house, here's my offer, and with this offer, before you even approve it, I'm going to give you some money in earnest. And what this money in earnest means, I'm committed to this offer, and there's a lot more money where this little bit comes from. I'm already giving you the money. See, when a guy gives a woman an engagement ring, he's saying, I'm going to marry you one day, but they're not married yet. He has, this, this woman with this fancy ring has none of the marriage vow yet. But when you go to buy a house and you pay earnest, they have your dollars. And they have the promise that more of your dollars are coming. And when the Lord gives us the Holy Spirit, he gives us himself. But it's, it's a way that says, there's a whole lot more of heaven coming your way. Isn't that great? That it's already started. This is, and, and, the, and the word here for the seal, the guarantee of our inheritance, the word here is very much one of a down payment, of a promise that there is more to come. When the Lord put his Holy Spirit on you and in you, one of the many things he says is here's an amazing taste of heaven and there's a lot more where this came from. God has already given you what in his eyes is a little bit of heaven, but in our eyes is a, is a, is a really big deal. It's a lot. But just know that in the eyes of the Lord, there's even a whole lot more coming. So let's think about when the Holy Spirit moves in your life. And some of you, you're, we, we get these notions that the Holy Spirit means I, I have to do certain things that I don't understand. But thankfully, the Lord clears that up for us. The Holy Spirit's our helper. He convicts us of sin. Think about this. Every time you're convicted of sin, you know what this is? This isn't you just going, oh, I'm terrible. I'm an awful person. It's the Holy Spirit of God in you saying you were made for holiness. That's not holy. We need to correct this. It's, it's the Holy Spirit of God saying you're a temple for the praise of the Lord and that has no place here. So we know that the Holy Spirit moves in our hearts in, in conviction, and so many times we treat that conviction with dread of like, ah, I just feel so guilty. But instead, what we need to be thinking is, praise the Lord who saves me according to the riches of his grace, not according to my ability to turn myself around. And thank the Lord Almighty that he has put his Holy Spirit on you as a guarantee of this inheritance that is coming. So that as that whole unholiness is removed from your life, you can look forward to the day when all you know is holiness and purity. When the Holy Spirit leads you to truth through the word of God, know that there's a day that's coming when all you have is truth. When there's no place for lies, when lies have no voice. As the Holy Spirit takes away our taste for sin, as the Holy Spirit leads us, to an outpouring of his fruit 
of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, as we see hints of those coming, know that there's so much more. Helping us in prayer, in those moments of worship, when you feel like, oh, if I just open my eyes right now, I might see streets of gold under my feet. When we think of the inheritance that we are waiting to acquire possession of, know this. All those things that you have as the Holy Spirit does His work in you are but a simple foretaste of the glories of heaven. And it is the Lord saying, here's the, here's the earnest payment. There's a whole lot more where this came from. Here's the earnest payment. There's a whole lot more where that came from. Much, much, much more. Here's an interesting thing about this. The subject has gone from we to you. And now verse 14, the Holy Spirit guarantee of our inheritance. Paul has now combined the we and the you, and he's saying our. Because in Christ, we, Jew and Gentile, are the unified people of God. Paul is going to get to this unity a lot more later, but he just he can't help but drip it out. We're the children of God. The, the Jew, the Gentile, American, Chinese, we think of our heart to send people to plant churches among every tribe, tongue, and nation. The Bowie people, the XLS people, we're, we're one with them. That's our inheritance. The Iowegian, we're one. You guys didn't even know about that tribe. <laughs> but think about this. When we think of that hour, you have the same inheritance as Abraham. Same inheritance as David. Same inheritance as Paul. Same inheritance as Hudson Taylor. It's Jim Elliott. It's Richard Sibbs. The same inheritance as your brothers and sisters in Christ in this room. The same inheritance as our brothers and sisters in Christ who have to sing at a whisper because if they are heard singing to Jesus, they'll be killed for it. We have the same inheritance. And that inheritance is not for us to walk into and feel like we've arrived. It's to the praise of his glory. It's our salvation. It's his glory. This is the refrain of this. To the praise of his glory. That we've been obtained by God as a heritage to his name for the praise of his glory. We've been given through faith as part of our salvation, we've been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit as a guarantee of our inheritance that we're going to acquire possession of later to the praise of his glory. We have been brought in Christ to the praise of his glory. I want to do a little call and response here. I'm going to talk about our salvation. And when I point to you, I want you in unison to say to the praise of his glory. Let's practice. To the praise of his glory. We have been brought into Christ. To the praise of his glory. I didn't point to you yet. Come on. 
Wait for this. This is so blatantly obvious. We have been brought into Christ. We who are sinful have been redeemed of our sin, redeemed of our guilt by the blood of the Lamb of God. Oh, you guys nailed it. We have been saved not of our own doing, but according to his grace as part of his eternal will laid out before the foundations of the world. We have a glorious inheritance in the saints. We have been brought in with all believers of all time for this glory inheritance as co-heirs in Christ. We have absolute security that nothing in all creation can pull us out and pry us out of the glorious grip of our Savior. And we are experiencing now the down payment through the guaranteed seal of the Holy Spirit that when we're convicted of our sin, when we're led in righteousness, when the fruit of the Spirit pours out, it's this reminder that there's so much more to come. Amen. This is our heritage. We belong to God as his people saved out of slavery to sin and brought into the freedom of righteousness. Let us worship. Let us worship with expression. Let us worship and let us worship with obedience that our lives would be clearly seen to the praise of his glory. Let us do this not out of obligation, but out of just sincere and heartfelt and growing gratitude. And let us do it with increase because it's our salvation, but it's his glory. Praise God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we adore you. You, God, you've saved us. You made us part of your will. God, help us. Help us to live with the awareness that we are part of your obtained heritage, that you bought us with the blood of Christ, and that these things that can feel like growing pain sometimes and excitement other times are a reminder that you've put in us the down payment of heaven. Lord, we thank you. And we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.